had lunch and he's like, man, might as well get a white claw. And I don't know if that's against the rules or frowned upon or whatever, but we weren't drinking during a round, so I think it's okay. I'm gonna leave you guys. I, I gotta go to like seven under at this place and it's starting to blow. And I don't know if I got it in me, so we'll, we'll see. Nice shot, you boner. <laughs> My caddy called me a boner today. All right, folks, we are almost at the halfway point. This is Full Swing Thoughts, the podcast where we analyze and probably overanalyze the new Netflix documentary, Full Swing. I'm Shane. I am here with Sam Wyman and Alex Myers, all of us from Golf Digest. Uh, and today we're talking about episode four, the Joel Damon episode. Alex, you know, sneak preview. Yesterday, you said you had watched ahead of us. You said this is the uh, this is the best one so far. I'll withhold my thoughts, but uh, maybe Sam will start with you. Did Alex nail it? Was he was he right? No question. So here's the thing, right? First episode, we've established we were underwhelmed. The second two episodes, we said they did an amazing job of of humanizing two or three people who we maybe not necessarily had. Uh, a lot of affection for or cared a great deal about, but they told their story really well. Episode four, you have a incredible personality who is immediately likable. And I, I, we're all a little biased because we've had some interactions with Joel, but he's just a great personality. And they obviously told his story really well. So unlike with Ian Poulter or Brooks Kepka, where you had to maybe um, pull out all the stops to make sure you tell the the full dimension of their, of their journey, Joel's story and his personality Basically, all you have to do is press record, in my view, and they and that that's what made this episode so great. Alex, you feel yeah. validated? I feel very validated. Well, I, I'm waiting to hear your thoughts, Shane. But when I made that statement, I was only halfway through the episode, and I already declared it the best episode of the season. Um, it's going to be tough to top that one because, like Sam said, Joel is just such a great personality. Not to mention Gino Benali, his caddy, uh, is <laughs> amazing too. I mean. I, I can't even tell you how many posts I've done on both of them throughout the years, 20 posts or so. I mean, it's like they're content Kings in, in their own right. So um, like Sam said, you press record, you let it go, but he's got such a great backstory that, you know, the sad story with his mom passing when he's in high school, that was really emotional. Um, him overcoming his own battle with cancer. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like not me. Like I'm, 23 years old i'm a pro golfer now you know you can't you can't touch me luckily caught it very early did a little bit of chemo and i was back playing golf that summer he downplays it you know he's always like well it wasn't that big of a deal it was just testicular cancer it was short i think he's more powerful than he gives himself credit for uh the the incredible story again stuff we all stuff we've written about and we kind of know as big golf fans but i don't think a lot of non-golf fans know who joel damon is but the stuff about him um, giving Gino the job, their friend, Gino writing him the letter, and then they had him read the letter. I already have a plan to get rid of my truck and buy a Honda Civic and modify it to be my house. I totally did. I was going to buy a, actually change it to Civic to Prius. Way better gas mileage. Oh, Gino. And uh, I hired him, obviously. That Gino wrote him and he was getting all choked up. I mean... Just an incredible episode from start to finish. And this is what we talked about way back in the first episode, how we kind of wanted more of these stories of, you know, the journeyman. I mean, Joel Damon's a great player, and they, they point that out a lot. He's a top 70 player or whatever. But, like, 
you know, not the superstars, the guys who are really kind of grinding to try to make a living. They make a good living, but they have to really grind to make that living. And Joel Damon fit perfectly into that. So we we care about his struggle. We want him to do well. And he's a great personality. So amazing episode. Easily the best, I'd say, so far. A+. Plus. I um I always take notes as I watch these. And the first note I wrote is totally almost incoherent, but it's just, yes, with like eight S's. This is what you want. <laughs> it was this like, is what you want. It was like, yeah. this it, This was like what I was kind of hoping for when when you think of the Netflix. Netflix is doing a golf show. Like they're going to do yeah. an F1 type show for golf. Exactly. And it's like, like you said, I mean, you couldn't pick two better personalities. I think Joel was amazing. Actually, his wife was amazing too. Yeah. And like, and Gino was so crucial to it. I love those guys together. It felt very much like I, I know they're like Pacific Northwest guys, like Washington. Gino lives in Idaho now. Uh, it felt very much that kind of vibe, like a little self-deprecating, that like sort of soft sense of humor. <laughs> There's just little moments like when they're on the course and um, and Joel makes a birdie and Gino goes. Nice job. Congratulations on your birdie. <laughs> like, like the, the way that they interact is like so good to me. It's so funny. Uh, like he calls him a boner. I, I don't know. There's just yeah. like this, this cool, cool vibe and they've all got it. And yeah, Alex, like you said, even in the context of a journeyman who's ranked, you know, 70th or 80th or whatever, if you interviewed a dozen of those guys, they wouldn't be like him. They wouldn't, if, can you win a major? Absolutely not. You know, right. they, they wouldn't be that self-deprecating. It, it's like a different kind of person. And it's just so wild to see it in a world of professional golf where everything a lot of times can feel so stitched up and so proper and everybody's saying the right things and sticking to their, you know, their media training lines or whatever to have this guy. It's just like a, a human. He even looks like a human being, right? It's just, I, I was uh, so thrilled by this episode and I thought they completely nailed it. I think we're going to notice some trends when we record and talk about all eight episodes, like, and maybe we can create a drinking game, for instance, about the number of times that they talk about the cut uh, and explain the cut. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But um, another thing is I've, I've repeatedly referenced um, a good walk spoiled and how that was sort of the model for me in right. explaining professional golf. And my hope that this, show would be that. So I realize right. I'm repeating that. But one of the things that book did was explain this sort of uh, second or third tier players and their journey and what makes them so compelling. And in some ways makes them way more compelling than the stars of the game, because every shot every week is so crucial to their self-confidence, their livelihood, their, you know, they're having a job the next year. You know, Joel's doing pretty well. So it's not like he's hanging on by a thread, but he's a guy who, you know, we'll talk about the U S open, but when he has a great U S open, it really matters. And I thought that was, was, was such an important component to explaining professional golf is it's not about Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas, you know, trading, you know, flying to tournaments in their jet and, you know, trying to win majors. It's also about that next level now. I thought a lot about that this episode and also about probably something we can all relate to as content men, uh, if I may. Uh, but this idea that you could write a great story about someone like Joel Damon and the stories are better when you get to guys like him, but there's also that other thing that they don't attract as much interest as the stories about the best players. And so you're always juggling this thing, which I I'm sure Netflix is juggling too, which is like, okay, well we have like Jordan Spieth and, and Justin Thomas here. And that's like huge names. We have Brooks Capco, even Ian Poulter, uh, then we have Joel Damon, but guess what? Like the best episode we're going to do is about Joel Damon. Now, how do we juggle that? Uh, and I think it's awesome that they made a choice to give him his whole 
a whole episode yeah. and obviously yeah. it was a great choice but you know we kind of have bandied about like you know wondering why they chose the sequence they did and it's a similar thing probably to what we have to deal with all the time which is like well you do have your big names that are going to sell and if you want to get people in the door probably joel damon's not the way to do it i guess what i'm hoping is i hope people stick around for that one i hope exactly. people aren't going i hope they get to see that episode because i think that it's not just about what a great guy joel is and gino and his wife and everything uh it's also just there's like the magic of golf baked into that you know what i mean like that is going to show people how special golf is sam to your point like watching him finish top 10 was more special than watching oh. someone oh, win yeah. a major or something. Dude, it, it, I, I get, I got choked up. Like I honestly yeah. got choked up yeah. watching that, uh, some parts of that uh, sequence. And they, I, like the way they did it was really good too. I thought, cause you get to Friday where he's tied for the lead. And then I was wondering, like, are they going to depict Saturday as like a big failure or, you know what I mean? Like, are they going right. to do like the ominous music and go, Oh, he fell off the lead, but they didn't, they pitched it exactly as it should be, which is like, right. what a victory for him to hold on and play so well, like on Sunday and everything. Yeah. It was like chef's kiss. This is again, I'll, I'll sound like I'm repeating myself, but this is what you want. Like, this is what it's supposed to be this series. Yeah. I had in my notes, best episode ever. And like great <laughs> yeah. stuff a couple of times and like, but, but you know, it's amazing because I was watching, you know, we always come from, you know, we work in golf, we cover golf and we know all this already. I, I'm watching an episode and I gotta be honest, I like totally forgot that he was a 36 hole leader and I was there. Yeah. Same here. I forgot. And I forgot that he finished top 10 or, you know, whatever. And it matched his best finish in a major ever. So like I'm watching this story unfold and I'm like, this is a great, this is just a great story. I know he's not going to win, but like, you're right, Shane, they still sold it as a victory for him, which it clearly was. It was the best, you know, major finish. He'd never made a cut at a U.S. open before. So to me, that's why these stories are even better than the main stories because you get even the the golf fan, the hardcore golf fan to say, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And you're kind of watching it for the first time. So so that's why it was, I, I you know, that was even an extra layer for me. So um, yeah, it, it was just tremendous stuff. And obviously with those guys, you get, we like we talked with Poulter, you get the better access, you get it. You know, you get all these cooler moments. None of them felt staged, by the way, which of course goes back to the fact that those guys are, you know, longtime friends and everything else. That there, there wasn't any reason to stage anything. So that's why it comes across so authentic and 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 so good. Well, so okay, I just want to make a very quick point on the immersion thing. It's sometimes how I judge things like this when I already know what happened uh, is yeah. how I feel in the moment. And I don't know if you guys have this this phenomenon most, but like you will get so I got so into the drama of it yesterday that after that i was like i mean after watching the friday round i had a brief moment where i thought i wonder if he's gonna win this i wonder if he's yeah. gonna win a major oh. and i like you know because right. you you're disappearing into the show and then you go right. idiot you know he didn't win a major like right. you absolutely know but like the fact that you get to that point the fact that you lose yourself it is like a really it's probably like the highest compliment you can pay almost so as you guys know i you know i spent a day with joel for this feature story in uh in september and I, you know, asked him about everything in, in golf. And at one point, now I feel stupid because I, we talked about like, what was the best tournament you ever played? The best round you ever played? And I made some sort of like off the like, Oh, you had a good U S open. Like that was the extent of it. Yeah. And I, and I was like, you know, I, I feel stupid that I sort of, that was the extent that I discussed it with him because you just see top 10 and what you, I didn't do. And what um, he didn't talk about then was just the level of, um, investment and accomplishment it was to play 
72 holes like that and to sustain that level and to have his name atop the leaderboard, never mind the fact that he qualified, which we should talk about in a second. But yeah, I mean, every element of it was so dramatic and so rewarding. And um, you're right, Shane. One of the things I loved about it was they didn't um, portray it in any way as, oh, a disappointment. He fell off a cliff and, you know, didn't win. And they, if you notice, they skipped from Friday to Sunday. And I'm watching yes. with Charlie. My son, he's like, they didn't show Saturday. Of course, literal you know, high school senior. And I was like, no, because they, they wanted to maintain the emotional um, satisfaction that he had this amazing tournament. Exactly. Was, exactly. So, so that it was such a, and like that one long pot he made and Gino reading the pot, it was yeah. such a, and again, I've talked about this before about how I want them to do a good job of explaining sort of these little granular moments on the golf course, you know, reading a pot, chipping, you know, the decision-making that goes into something. And they did such a great job of sort of showing how amazing that putt was that he made. Yeah. I mean, look, it wasn't, it wasn't just a, a top 10 or a T10. Doing great. That was just kind of a solid round of golf. We're in first place in major. So, all right, buddy. Good job. All right. He was leading. He was, you know, right in the mix after round one, he was leading after round two. They show him getting the interviews he then, you're right. They skipped Saturday, but whatever. Then he's out there, um, you know. He's he's brushing elbows with with the superstars. He's he's talking with Rory on the practice screen. He plays with Rory McIlroy the final round, who had a chance to win. Um, it, it what my point is, you know, it wasn't this backdoor top ten. Like he was there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes the you know it just shows that's what we love about golf. You can have this one week where you stand toe to toe with the giants of the game. And that's what he did. And that's why it is a victory. And they did a great job of showing how to him, it really was like a a win. Uh, So again, I thought that was really cool. And again, part of that is luck. We've talked about this, you know, they, they pick a guy, they sign guys, something has to happen. Interesting with those guys. They have this storyline with Damon and then as like the every man. And then all of a sudden, you know, know, let's talk about the qualifying too in a second, but he, he not only gets into the U.S. Open as the everyman, but then he, he ends up contending at the U.S. Open. So you do get lucky in that it plays out that way. But, hey, they did a great job when, once it happened. I've made a request for the, to the powers that be that we get Chad Mom on this to talk about some of the decisions. I know, Shane, you've talked to him a great deal uh, for the feature story day, but after watching it, I have more questions. So I want to get him on. And one of the things I want to sort of nail down is how they went about doing this because – they obviously just filmed a ton of sequences with everyone. And at some point they just said, Oh wait, Joel's in contention at the US Open. Let's really double down yeah. on following yeah, him. Right, right. Well, it can't be everywhere right. at once. And so it's right. not just luck. At some point they make the decision, okay, we're gonna we're gonna really take it home with him now. No, no, I but you know what I mean? Like they they obviously had him at some point, and then the fact that he then had his best major performance, then they're you're right. Then they're able to say, Oh, let's let's capitalize on this. But like if Joel Damon never did anything in a major would that episode have been as powerful no, no. they wouldn't have like they would have gone somewhere else what they might have picked something qualify? else to focus on with him what if he didn't qualify know? for the u.s open i mean yeah. that, that ended up being let's talk about that i mean obviously the main takeaway of course i think everyone's going to say is you know he shoots a 71 or whatever the first round and he has a couple white claws at lunch <laughs> the white claw the white claw bump and uh and then he goes out and shoots five under and makes it on the number to get into the u.s open i mean i think everybody that it's just perfect it literally is like a tin cup moment incredible Joel Damon. it was amazing 
And that, that's just, uh, you know, it speaks to the power of being there, right? But you're right. Even being there, you only have a year to do this right. stuff. So something good's got to happen. It would have been very easy for Joel Damon not to really, you know, to have a year where his best finish was a tie for 12th or something somewhere. Uh, I still, I actually still do think they could have made a really good Joel Damon episode just because of the strength of the personality. Sure. Oh, but sure. there is absolutely no doubt that it's a million times better because of what happened. And I think those stories are so cool. And you're right. It would be great to get chat on here. Just even just to be like, how did you feel? Like, did you know you struck gold with that qualifying right. and the U S open back? Like, did you just like get down on your knees and, and thank the heavens that, that you got it? I, I mean, it's, it's, it really feels like it's staged. Like, right. you know, you, you, <laughs> that, that yeah. sequence, yeah. It, it, it was, it was so compelling you know gino's like oh, i wonder if i can get the flight out of here he's sort of he's sort of obviously trying to reverse psychology uh there right. by sort of saying you should give up um and it totally works and they sit down and um you know joel does have like a real affection for white claws like it's an ongoing thing with yeah. him so the yeah. fact that they had a couple at lunch is amazing and it's magical it was like a really magical sequence to that point, I loved when uh, I think it was at Tory when uh, when Gino tells them he should fake a back injury <laughs> so they can leave early so yeah. we can catch so we can catch an early flight. But they also did it at the qualifying too. And yeah, he almost point, left. He almost didn't play. I mean, we, we almost hear, a lot yeah, of guys just, don't play that second round if they're they're out of the mix. Just screw and, it. Yeah, yeah. I like I, the point late in the first round where Joel goes to him. Did you even really want to play the U.S. Open? Yeah. And Gino Gino goes yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, if you if you want to play, if you, want, if you want to. <laughs> I I mean that relationship, and it's 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 genuine. I mean, him reading the letter, unbelievable. That Gino writes to him, is so amazing. But it just shows it's such a window into them and kind of what they value. And you know, I watched it with Charlie, my my son, and he made a reference. He it wasn't uh, he wasn't saying it in a derogatory way, but how like. He doesn't seem to care as much as the other guys. Right. And yeah. that's the beauty of this guy. He's not a robot. He's this, he's this three-dimensional person who has other things going on in his life, who's been through a shit ton of stuff uh, that's put golf in perspective. I know that's like a loaded word, but really has put golf in perspective. And that's what makes him such a dynamic character. If he was this monomaniacal golfing machine, uh, first of all, I don't think he'd be as successful. I actually think it would work against him. And yeah. he, wouldn't nearly, he wouldn't be nearly as likable. I was just going to say the theme of that was the theme that ran throughout right to the very yeah. end. How good could you be if you said, fuck it, I am going to try as hard as I can? Um, I don't know. How good could I be? Top 50? Like, you know, I think even Gino said to him at one point, what's the downside of trying, you know, trying your absolute hardest to be the best you can be? And watching that, I thought maybe there is a downside. Like maybe... Mm -hmm. And I think maybe Joel understands it to some degree that if you turn yourself into somebody who he might be able to do it, but I think there may be something lost there because he is not cut from the same cloth. And so he would have to change himself in ways that I think go beyond just practicing harder. Like there would be, it would have to be sort of a wholesale personality change almost, at least in the way he presented himself to people. And yeah. I, I thought that was a fascinating element of, I guess the sense I got that it would be possible for him to lose his happiness if mm -hmm. he if right. he pursued golf to a level beyond which he has accomplished right now. And it's like everybody acts the whole episode. There was like this subtext that 
like even from Max Homa, who's like, I tell him all the time at part, every party ends with me telling him, you know, how great right. he can be. The subtext is that like the best thing he could do in his life is become a great golfer. And mm -hmm. I was sitting there watching it thinking, I don't know. I think like, I think you've got it made brother. Like, yeah. I, I think you should be 70th your whole life and just be just as happy as you are now. Uh, and and I, I don't know. I thought that was a cool like success versus happiness thing, well, let's, which, is, which is funny because he already is very successful. He's already a million, all that stuff. But uh, yeah, I was like, be careful, be careful about making like a, a choice that you might regret. Yeah, it was perfect that Max Homer was in there because he's done that interview with us where he said I needed to stop telling myself that I sucked or something, you know. And he so he kind yeah. of he kind of changed his mentality and look what's happened to him. And by the way, when he gets interviewed in this, they list him as world number 37, Max Homa. So that just shows you how quickly things can change. He's like a knocking on the top 10 right now with, with all the, the wins. I would say most of my adult beverage nights with Joel and with me yelling at Joel about how good he is at golf and trying to get him to realize it. So, you know, he would tell Joel, look, I changed and, and this happened, but you're right, Shane. It might, it might not necessarily work for everyone. I, I did love some of the quotes though from Joel, um, you know, he said, quote, I probably need more of a killer instinct. I mean, you know, maybe he does. Uh, and then at the end, though, after the top 10, I'm pretty good at golf. I need to believe that more. So you kind of like you yeah. do get that vibe from him. I also my favorite line from him the whole time, though, was when he comes up to be interviewed after he's like leading through the midway point. And before he gets up there, he goes. Can Joel Damon win a major? Blah, blah, blah. Here we go. You said you can't do this. Look at you now. It's only one round. Anything else? Thank you. <laughs> like expecting the, the questions from the reporters. That was yep. incredible. I mean, so what a moment. By the way, we've, we've referenced a few moments of maybe a little bit of manipulation or some stagecraft. I think one of them was, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure, is they show... Um, his interview where he's giving an interview talking about um, I forget what it was. It was, I, I don't know. It was an interview. And then they show the packed, uh, the packed horde of reporters oh. who were interviewing him. I am 99% sure yeah, they weren't there for that, that, <laughs> that shot of the like, you know, 50 reporters was from, for someone else. It was like Rory McIlroy. Yeah. yeah. And then they show Joel up there. All right, first. Sam. Come on. I, I I'm got not, one. I'm not I've complaining. I'm not complaining. No, I'm I, just noting. I I think I I love nitpick corner. I think nitpick yeah. corner is my, one of the best parts of this. Uh, <laughs> my my nitpick corner for this one was after the first round of qualifying. They said uh, they had a voiceover from Gino being like he had to go shoot five hundred to make the U.S. Open. Yeah, that and was it's like. It's like retroactively, yes, that's true. But in the time, nobody has any idea what you have to yeah. shoot, right? Like it's that was a good. You're right. Yeah, and it you, first, because Joel walks off, he's like, I'm probably gonna have to. He's calling somebody, he's like, I'm probably gonna have to shoot seven under, and yeah. then they throw in, He had to shoot five under, and he, <laughs> yeah. they make it like it's like a set thing you have a to set go thing for. that you have to right. reach, and it's like he did it with right. a birdie on the 17th or whatever. Right. So, yeah, it's, right. uh, hey, how's this for a nitpick? And I don't know if this is true, but um, Alex, you might know the answer to this. Are you allowed to have <laughs> this? Is really nitpicky. Are you allowed to have an orange whip in your bag while playing a competitive round? Yes, as long as oh. you don't use it. Okay, because I was like, that's from a practice round. That's not accurate. I was like, talking no, 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 no. You, <laughs> so, you, you can have um, it in there. I mean, it's very unusual. I would think most most guys obviously would take it out just to make the bag lighter. But I'm 99% sure as long as you, you can have, uh, you know, training training aids. Aids, yeah. you just can't actually use them, take them out of your bag. Um, okay, you guys did your nitpick corner. Let's do a couple, like, favorite parts. And there's so many, but I do want to point out that 
there was a little, first of all, this is the first episode that we see Rory interviewed, mm -hmm. right? Rory introduced. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the big surprise um, when the trailer dropped that they got Rory. It was kind of like late ad. Um, so you, you see, so we're going to see more of Rory, but the, the scene, I already kind of mentioned it with him on the, you know, the putting green with Joel, but then also when Joel comes in and Rory is eating with John Rahm and Kyle Morikawa, these guys are just chilling at the table. Uh, Rory's showing a photo of like Poppy, his daughter from uh, nursery school or something. I thought that was cool. But then there's this one little line. So it wasn't, I wasn't going to fly private. And then we flew with someone. So Rory doesn't fly private either. Where Rahm says, Rory doesn't fly private and looks and laughs. And it's, it's a jab at, remember the whole Rory emissions thing or the carbon footprint or whatever. <laughs> I didn't pick yeah. up on that. Very good. Such an amazing line. And they all, they kind of chuckle about it. And Rory just like, kind of like gives a little <laughs> smile, but like, you know, again, you'd have to really be following golf to, to get into that, but, but it's just such a private little moment with them kind of giving each other shit and sharing like stuff that's going on in their life. And this is before the final round of a right. major championship and three of the top, you know, five players in the world. I just thought that was really cool. Um, that was something that uh, Charlie had noticed. He's like, can we just have an hour and a half episode of just on that table? Yeah, it was, was, it was amazing. It yeah. Is, yeah. It's not like they said that much, but just that no. little moment was such a cool, um, such a cool thing to see. Yeah. My apparently, personal favorite. Uh, Go ahead, say, apparently, apparently the, the deal on Rory was Chad, Chad was telling me that he, he was one of those guys who was like, let me see the first season and be, before I, and like, if it's mm. really good, I'll do it in the second season. But throughout Wait. the year, he kept like showing up wherever the camera was and having conversations with people. Okay. So like, it would be very clear that there were like Netflix people filming one of the subjects they had signed and Rory would like come over to say hello or Rory would be having like come over to chat with them to the point that Chad mom was like, do you want to be in this? Like, do you, <laughs> like what, what do you, do you want to do it? And he, and he got him at the, um, the funny thing is, so even at the open championship, they still didn't quite have him, but Chad approached him and was like, how about this? Let us just film you this week, uh, you know, and thinking maybe he would have a good week. And obviously the, the story was incredible. Let us just film you. And then we can decide later. You don't have to use it or whatever. So they did that. And then Chad flew to the um, tour championship in Atlanta, just basically on spec being like, I'm going to get there on Sunday and pray to God. And so he was just like one of us really just wandering the hallways of the locker room on a Monday, hoping he would run into Rory. And he just happened to find him in like a tiny little dining area and signed him there. Mm. And it was just like, I mean, it was like never, never a given that Rory would be in this. And then as we've seen, like spoiler alert, just from the title of the episodes, it looks like the final episode is all about Rory at the open. Uh, so yeah, I think that scene with him at the table with Rom is obviously like they allowed the camera to be there. Right. It's That's not what I'm saying. So like that, yeah. so that would have been in, I mean, he would have been okayed that back in june or whatever for that to happen right or or could he have said no i don't want that to get in final cut or something yeah it's a good question what i wonder about because uh joel wanders into it later at that table i wonder if it's like set up if they were yeah. like or if they were eating lunch there and they got and maybe the guys were like hey can we just film you and joel's just going to come say hi to you and maybe they just okayed it in that moment Right. Um, cause like you said, it was June, it was far before he was signed or anything. Right. Um, yeah. So I don't know, but apparently Rory was like, always like sort of dipping his toes. And I thought that was very gotcha. funny. Well, and he obviously happened to cross paths with Joel, uh, playing with him in that final round and, and on the putting green too, Joel had some line to him, like, 
uh, what did he say? He said, I, I need to work. I, I work out too, or something. He said, Rory, crack it up. I mean, that was, that was great. So again, you got, there was so much, we, we saw with the Poulter one, it was the most behind the scenes footage. This had even more. Um, and again, that's part of who the subject is and the access that, that they grant. Uh, but we are working from like superstars in JT and Jordan down to Brooks, down to Poulter, and now down to Joel. And it's funny how, like, the episodes have probably gotten better going that way. Right. So put yourself – and this is – we talk about this all the time at Golf Digest about how, like, we so badly – and not that we root for people, but we so badly want certain people to be uh, more mainstream stars because we feel like they're great for the game, right? So, like – and we we talk about it all the time how, how great would it be if – Joel Damon was in contention all the time. So if you're uh, a, you know, a PGA tour executive or a network executive, um, you're so hoping that he works his way into contention at a tournament this year, because people are going to say, Oh, that's the guy from the Netflix show. I want to see how he does this week in the tournament because I so much like him. You know, it's, it doesn't serve them well if he's just middle of the pack, you know, T60 and never really factoring in. Uh, I mean, it does, but it's not the same level of wanting to tune in on Saturday or Sunday. So, you know, part of the reason that I think the tour got behind this idea is it sells the sport and it sells their players and it sells again, all of these multiple storylines that take place every week. I, 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 I can't say enough about how good a job I thought it did in sort of capturing what it is for that kind of, you know, middle tier experience on the tour and they probably could have done more. Like, I wonder, and I don't know this, you know, they don't really have Q school anymore, obviously in the tour. I wonder if one of the episodes is going to cover someone who's like playing for their card at the end of the year, you know, trying to yeah. get into the FedEx cup playoffs. Cause that's really compelling too. That's probably, that's, if definitely. you think about it, you know, Joel's week was huge at the U S open and it definitely elevated him a level, but he was still okay. Either way. What would be really compelling yeah, yeah. is if you have someone who is, you know, hang on a thread between the tour and, and uh, the corn Ferry tour, which is a, you know, it's significant difference. That would be great. To your point, Sam, I, I was, as I was watching, I kept thinking, and Damon's already popular in galleries with people who know golf, but I was thinking like, wow, people, he's going to have such a huge fan base at tournaments now after this episode comes out. It's and you're right. It's like people watching on TV will watch him. Um, Speaking of the tour, I did. I, I liked that they left in, the part where after Phoenix, where he was like, and then you get a phone call from the tour yelling at you because you're yes. not supposed to take your shirt off. I was like, all yeah. right, Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't cut that out. That was That's cool. I would see. be so disappointed if the tour was getting that, you know, sensitive because that would really defeat the purpose of the whole thing. Yeah. But no, I know. I know you can say it. I mean, obviously, it wouldn't surprise me, but I, uh, I agree, Shane. It was kind of like what you were talking about the last episode with the Poulter stuff. You know, they get Poulter, but then they show him getting grilled over. Yeah. The human rights questions. I mean, like they didn't just give these guys, you know, free pass on, on, on everything. So um, I like that. Yeah. On your topic of favorite moments, Alex, this was the first time uh, in four episodes that I got emotional. I won't say I cried, but I could feel the tears welling up 100%. twice, yeah. twice, twice right away with his mom. Yep. And, and then with the Gino letter, which we've talked about, the letter yeah. was spectacular. Yep. I mean, what, what a device, what a story, so good. Um, I actually what, applauded. I actually was sitting on my couch yeah, and I went, yeah. that's so good. I, I, I couldn't, it was, it was amazing. 
It was so good. I would like to apply for the position of Joel Damon's caddy. Uh, it's fantastic. And, you know, another thing I was thinking as I was watching this was there is something about both of them. Joel in particular, he has a look of vulnerability about him that is like instant pathos. Like you instantly like feel, feel, not feel for the guy, but you, you can feel the emotions he's feeling. And then it, it led me to another thought, which is how comfortable both of them seemed on camera constantly. Mm. And, and that I think is another underrated thing when you're producing a documentary like this, where it's like Spieth and Thomas didn't seem uncomfortable, but they almost seemed wary later yes. next episode. We're going to see Matt Fitzpatrick doesn't seem that comfortable to me. little spoiler alert there. Um, it's not easy to sit in front of a camera and be natural. And these guys, along with having great senses of humor, it's like they are instantly able to be themselves in weird situations where a person is sitting right in front of you or two people, a crew with a boom mic and a camera, you know, that's like a special talent. And, and also like what a gift for the filmmakers that you have these guys who don't miss a beat. Like they can just like whatever dynamic they have, like when nobody's watching, it's the exact same. You would think when, when you have like a bunch of cameras in your face. Well, I mean, you know, I referenced the day I spent with Joel and I spent, you know, I played around a golf with him on camera. And again, there are a million people who uh, or not a million people, but there's, you know, two or three dozen people who are bigger names in golf and might be a bigger draw. Um, but he was far and away the best choice in terms of someone that a was it comfortable on camera, but, and B made me feel really comfortable. I mean, I had my own issues with just playing golf on camera, but none of it had to do with playing golf with him because yeah. he's such a natural, easygoing guy. And that comes across like he just has a, 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 a such an easy way about him that made him um, so endearing both, you know, when you meet him one-to-one, -one, but also in this episode, by the way, I wanted to mention as speaking of, uh, of that video, you know, I, I reached out to Joel to see if he would talk about the episode and I don't know if we're going to get him cause he's playing Pebble beach right now, but I did ask him about the, uh, the Netflix experience during that video. So maybe we can play some of that audio right now. So I heard, um, amazing things about the Netflix show and your role in the Netflix show. Uh, I have heard the same rumor. It's always a little scary when you kind of put yourself out there to the masses and sure. because the problem is, and we now it's a social media world, but it's like the, the 1%, right? Right. So, but they yell the loudest and most of the time they have no idea what they're talking about. So at times it's a little frustrating and it's yeah i mean it's a little scary to put yourself out there like that sure. but um i think uh my wife and i were true to who we were and that's all you can do right i mean i'm not out to i have let's say i have enough friends but yeah we're, we're pretty secure in who we are so we'll i'm i'm very curious how it turns out and a little bit scared you know what's funny though is like I don't watch a lot of reality TV mm -hmm. and I wouldn't call this reality TV, but like a lot of times they try to create drama and create yeah. all this friction out of little things. There actually is real stuff that you don't have yeah. to inflate it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Always a uh, good get Sam. Nice job. Um, I think, you know, looking at this episode, uh, I, I did want to briefly mention, how do you say his wife's name? Is it Lona or Lana? I think it's Lona. Lona. Okay. Well, we'll say, we'll say Lona. Sorry, Lona, if this is wrong, but I just, I, I, I just, why love we record vibe. both ways. 
I, I loved her. Yeah, yeah. Let's just record two different podcasts, a half hour yeah. each, one where we say Lana, one where we say Lona. Uh, I, I just thought she was like a, um, a perfect fit for him. And I, one thing that made me laugh so much was, you know, we've seen already like the, the thing where they filmed the family on the course. Like we saw Brooks Kepka's dad. Um, I, I think maybe we saw like Luke, Ian Poulter's kid or whatever. And they're very much like, oh, come on, let's go or whatever. And I just loved that the U.S. Open when, uh, when she was like, what a stupid hole. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like speaking for like a you know the yeah. entire tour uh, against the USGA or something. Yeah. Um, and then I thought the other thing that made me laugh was, did you guys think that a stro- uh, a store called the Strolleria would ever be in a, a Netflix golf documentary? I I have that in my notes. Him shopping for the strollers. I mean, no, the great amazing. line, deadpan. He goes, "Would you consider yourself an expert in the stroller world?" I would consider that there's a few others more expert than I am, but I'm pretty high up there. Doesn't he say something like that? It just killed me when he says it. And I liked how humble she was. She was like, well, look, I know a lot about strollers, but there's people who know more. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, what what else do we want to talk about with this? I mean, obviously, people are getting the the vibe, and we hope you agree watching it, that it was uh, this was uh, superb stuff. Um, Anything else we're missing here that we want to cover? You know, I, I, I just going back to the kind of the overarching theme of the episode was that he's, you know, self-deprecating. I think the episode title is the imposter is the imposter syndrome. And again, I just think that was such a well-told story about this guy who, who constantly needs to be pumped up. And, you know, I, I, you know, it's just like the U S open was such a great device in Mm -hmm. proving both to the audience and maybe proving to himself that he is in fact um, a better player than he gives himself credit for. And, you know, I think you would reference Shane that, you know, if he tried to be someone he isn't and went, went after it in a different way, he would sort of lose a little bit of who he is. Um, but I think there might be a balance. You'd like to see him strike where he's a little bit more believes in himself, um, you know, goes after great things, but doesn't lose kind of the the, the charm of, of someone who is still very relatable to an every everyday person. And maybe Max Homa would be the example of how that can work. Hundred percent. I feel like he has. I don't think he's lost anything. You know, he still seems. When I I did a a, a podcast for Golf Digest about selfishness in golf, and I asked a ton of players at the Presidents Cup, "Do you have to be selfish to be a good golfer?" And they all said yes, and explained it in various ways. Except Max Homa, he was like, "No, I don't think so." <laughs> and, and he's like, "Sure, you have to be protective of your time sometimes, but I think you can still treat people well." And yeah, I think like Max Homa would be the ideal Joel Damon trajectory, right? Like somebody with great personality, great sense of humor, but does find the balance of chasing the sort of an elite kind of thing if he wants it. Yeah. I know. I, I agree. The, the overarching, it, it was, it was great. They kept going back to it, but it, it wasn't too much because again, it's real. You can tell the way Joel thinks, you know, he had the line at the beginning, like somebody has to be the 70th ranked golfer in the world. I mean, it's just, it's just like perfect. Like that's who he is. Um, you know, the, the taste of, of the U S open and competing, it seemed like he was energized by that. We'll have to see if that carries over, but as we know, golf is just so tough. I mean, who knows? He could never finish in the top 10 at a major again, which um, is, you know, I hope he does. And, and he, he probably will, but that just shows you how difficult the sport is. He knows that. And um, again, that's why he treated it as such a, a, a victory for, for his career, uh, which again, it just made the episode so much better. You know, one point I did want to make, um, which was we talked a lot about episode two and how Kepka had lost, you know, whatever it is that he had. Um, and 
the reason why he was such a sort of you know dissatisfied being was that he wasn't someone who really loved golf to begin with, or at least that's the that's the that's the air he portrays. He doesn't really love golf, but he loves success. He loved winning, and I contrast that with Joel, who I think really does love golf, like loves the game, loves what it's given him, and can still derive a lot of satisfaction from from golf, even if he's not a dominant player. So I thought that was an interesting an interesting comparison. Not that he doesn't you know want success and and to win and all that, or doesn't you know get really frustrated with golf. But I thought you know he's a guy who sort of ended up being a great player. Uh, because of his love of the game and because it was a game that he took to. I think one interesting thing on that is uh, maybe the deepest part of the episode was that cancer was both the greatest source of pain in his life because it took his mother away from him. But at that one point he was like, in terms of me having it, it might've been like a, a really good thing to happen to me or a blessing in disguise because of not just like perspective in the, in the cliche sense of the word, but the, the sense of like, well, you should take advantage of this one life you have, you know, you should. And, and probably like the way the documentary is presented undersells how hard a worker he must be to be at of this course. level. Right. Yeah. Like, so, but like, and it's that I thought was like, definitely gives him a depth of character that I don't think Brooks Kepka or Ian Poulter have my, my own bias. You know what I mean? And it's why we probably like him a lot and all that kind of stuff. Um, on a lighter note, before we get going, uh, guys, if you can help me out, there's this concept they keep bringing up that I don't understand, and maybe maybe I'm dense, but what is a cut? What does it mean <laughs> when knew, a player is cut? I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> maybe we'll challenge Greg, our producer, and this is too much to ask. Is like, Greg, can you can you uh, can you stitch together all three times they've yeah. explained the cut? Professional golf tournaments are 72 holes. They're played over four days. Obviously, if you make the cut you get paid. And only the top half of the field gets to play the weekend. 150 some players. Everyone plays on Thursday, everyone plays on Friday. You have missed the cut and you're going home. If you miss the cut, you don't get a paycheck. It's that simple. That is golf's surest sign of failure. Well, well, well Shane, every tournament, there's 36 holes and you go home, some guys make it and some guys don't. The guys who don't, don't get paid. Wait, they don't uh, get any money? Yeah, it's it's an incredible concept that we might have to explain another time. Um, that is like, and I mean, they still have to pay their caddies. No, oh, I mean that's what that's what Gino said. You know, you get yeah, you get a salary. That's right, you get a salary of uh, yeah, yeah thousands a week bucks no to what. cover yeah. expenses and everything. So, By the way, that's so funny because Gino, we, I just saw it. it. It randomly popped up yesterday on our trending um, posts. Gino had shared a photo last year from Pebble Beach of it was like four or five or even six caddies like sharing a room at some pebble beach place. And, and it just showed how like expensive lodging there. And so like, again, he, we, we've, we've given Joel a ton of credit. We've given Gino a ton of credit here, but like Gino is amazing at just giving us um, a window into life on tour and especially life on tour um, as a caddy and not only a caddy, but a caddy for, you know, a 70th ranked player in the world. So uh, it just brought it all back to that because he, you know, he's so great at sharing that stuff, which he he always does. So that it makes sense that it came out well uh, in this episode. Let, let's put that down seriously as one of the questions for Chad mom, which is like, did you knowingly re bring up explaining the cut in three consecutive episodes or <laughs> was it like a total oversight? I'm not kidding. Like, yeah, I have yeah. to think that there was a conscious decision that it, you know, we, yes, we know we've explained it, but it, it fits too well. Uh, we need it to to make this episode work. I guess in theory, there's nothing saying that 
somebody has to watch these episodes sequentially. So right. somebody could dip in for the Joel Damon episode and you might, the, the philosophy might be, we need to explain the cut for people who are only watching this one. Um, and so, yeah, but it is because we had joked about it before this episode. And so when I saw it, yeah. I was like, I am dying. I was going to lead with that, Sam. I was going to be like, Sam, can you explain this to me? But I felt like it would have been underselling how good the episode was. Like, I, it, it wouldn't have been good to bring up first, but I had to like deliver it like that. I guess it is, it is very unique to golf, obviously. Um, well, I guess like in tennis, well, they're doing, obviously they're doing the tennis thing too. I mean, obviously you get paid based on how many matches you win at a tournament, but like in F1, I guess those guys, um, you know, they're, they have contracts with those companies. So they, they are like salaried. They make a ton of money just to show up every week. So maybe they're like coming at it from that. Like, well, who watched F1 are, are, are going to be like, well, why is it such a big deal that this guy didn't make the cut? I mean, I guess that's why they have to drive it home. Sure. sure. Yeah. I, I I did. I did. While you're talking less so about the actual like literal parallel and drive to survive or F1 about like making money. I did think, is there a similarity or a similar dynamic in F1, which is like, it's such a unique thing to that sport um, that it's worth, you know, like you need to explain it. And I don't know what that would be, you know, like F1 is a totally different world, but there's probably some like little nuances of that sport that it's worth for reminding you, by the way, this is this weird thing that happens. Right. There's probably a podcast out there where they're the big F1 fans are complaining about them mentioning it over and over again. Exactly. Exactly. I think uh, when Chad comes on, we should each try out for season two by explaining the cut. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think we should each have have an audition like Chad. Be honest. Like I want, I want all the harsh feedback you can give, but we'll each do it. We'll give him our pitch to see if we can make the cut. What if it's all three of us sitting together in a room? We're the talking head, but we do it like a Greek chorus where we take turns. (laughs) You can judge Uh, who did the best job. Actually, Who did the best. Yeah. And then the winner gets to be on Netflix season two. (laughs) (laughs) All we have to do is get Chad to agree. As long as we agree. That's right. That's right. All right, guys. Uh, probably a good time to to call it to to wrap it up. That was uh, that was fun, and uh, it's it's nice, isn't it, to be talking about an episode we all like? There's a it's certainly better than um, than the than the alternative. And this was, again, I think we keep we keep, it keeps getting better. We keep it's gathering momentum, and hopefully, it's still, uh, it still it goes along this path because uh, awesome episode.